Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and we have got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with Chelsea Harbach all about, oh, the things that go creep in the soil, nematodes, and, and, and a couple other things with crop diseases and so on. So we're excited to talk to Chelsea today. But before we get to Chelsea, we have to introduce our co-host with us every single week. We are joined by local foods educator and small farms educator. Did I say that wrong, Katie? Oh, shoot. I messed I'm it up. I'm all kinds I was, of educators. I was on a run. I was That's on okay. a run there. We'll accept it. All right. Local food systems, small farms educator, Katie Parker and Quincy. Hi, Katie. There you go. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm sorry I got tongue twisted there. I, I had been doing so good, so good for for like a month or two. Yeah, you've yeah. been doing really well. Sorry. Have you okay. been working outside today? I wish I was. It feels like spring right now. Yeah, it's Almost nice. summer. It feels rainy. It's a southerly wind. There's a lot of humidity to it. Mm-hmm. I keep checking the weather. Still no rain, at least predicted for where I'm at. How about you? I didn't notice anything so far. It's just wind, but tomorrow it says it's supposed to be 72. Exactly. Yeah. That's the that's the day we all need to like take a vacation day or something right. and go do some yeah. work at home. Yeah. Yeah. And then it will the oh, I think it's by Saturday. So if that's happening Wednesday by Saturday, we are down in the teens once again. So yeah, hopefully we can get a white Christmas. That would be nice to have. I, I love those. Those are some of my favorite to have. So yeah, um, with that yeah. cooler weather, maybe yep. that'll give us a better chance. That's right. Yes, that's right. Definitely. So uh, Katie, I, do you know, we're going to talk with Chelsea about nematodes. Um, did you study nematodes? More than likely, right? Uh, so I mean, soybean cyst nematode is a big one in agriculture. Okay. So uh, that's one that I'm familiar with. And then in more so in horticulture, we have root knot nematode, correct? Mm-hmm. That's all. Um, actually, so I don't know if you know, but um, Dr. Gruber's late wife was a nematologist, and she just she came and spoke to us one year when I was in uh, school and taking one of Dr. Gruber's soils classes, and she just had a wealth of knowledge. It was crazy to listen to her talk. Um, but she, yeah, it, that's, that's my extent of nematodes. What about you? So that triggered your excitement for nematology. Um, I, I'm going into this one blind, Katie. What, what's a nematode is literally <laughs> what we're going to ask here in a little bit. Cause I mean, as far as I know, they're like uh, from the movie tremors, you know, like the big worms, but these guys are microscopic. That's right. kind of what I'm going with yeah. here. So they're they're burrowing through the soil. They're going to come up and they're going to eat our trucks. I don't know. Well, if, but I, we're gonna... if, if I remember correctly, in one of our textbooks in college, it was either we're all covered in nematodes or we're all covered in microbes. Chelsea will have in, to. She'll have to, to determine. She's what saying the number two. Number we're all covered two. in microbes, which all is kind of disgusting. We're just, we're just a big bag like, of. Bacteria and fungi. Right. If we were all just to disappear today, we would still be like outlined by my, so <laughs> microbes. That's what the textbook said. Well, I think, okay, so we have to dispel some of these things. So I, I think without further ado, let us introduce uh, Dr. Chelsea Harbach, uh, the commercial ag educator with the University of Illinois Extension. Chelsea, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Hi, Katie. Thanks, guys, for having me. So, we're covered in 
What? What are we covered in? in we're covered in microbes. We're, we're, we're like, you know, we're covered in microbes. We've got microbes all in our like gastrointestinal intestinal system. Um, microbes are, are all around us, all over us and just everywhere. So if we're covered in microbes, so why are they... Why don't they eat our dead skin or do they eat dead skin? There, there, there are some microbes that, that kind of like eat away at like the detritus that we shed. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they're doing something while they're sitting on me. So yeah. Yeah. You got a job. Yeah. I mean, if they're, they're like, you know, uh, what's the word? Like, neutral right like it's not like they're, they're hurting you or anything right you would know if they were hurting you right yeah well i just th- in, in this conversation i'm thinking of a shout out to uh, steve wald who's our government relations uh here at extension his wife studies the microbiome and sh- he's talked about awesome. some really interesting things that her team has uncovered so uh yeah maybe we'll have steve on sometime so then we can talk to his wife about (laughs) 100% because I mean plants plants have microbiomes too I mean like every living organism has microbiomes that's really fascinating you you don't think about we live in the macro right we don't we don't see the the things that are crawling on our skin right now yeah Mm -hmm. that are beneficial they're eating Mm -hmm. the skin Mm -hmm. cells and probably defending us from more harmful diseases and stuff. Well, I guess in light of that, Chelsea, tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Um, What what are you doing here at Extension? Um, So my background is kind of all over the place. I I like grew up um, thinking like I love animals and I still like am super passionate about animals. And I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian for the longest time. And so um, I went to college thinking that I was gonna go to vet school. Um, and then like halfway through kind of, well, no, not, it was even, I think it was my freshman year. I, I took a course called Companion Animals in Society. And, um, and I never thought I would cry in a college class, but I like was bawling because we watched these documentaries about like dog fighting and animal shelters and so like actually like literally watching animals die and I'm bawling and I'm like okay maybe I don't have the emotional constitution for this and so I took an ecology class and I thought ecology sounded kind of cool so I was like oh maybe I'll like get into ecology but then that didn't seem quite like relevant enough for me um and so then I kind of decided to go back to my roots pun intended, uh, to, so I, I grew up on a farm. I had no interest in agriculture growing up, but I grew up on a farm and decided to, uh, study crop sciences. I had no idea what I wanted to do with that degree. Um, I, like my first semester had to talk about glyphosate and I was like, still had no idea what I was talking about. Like, that's how unfamiliar with agriculture I was. Um, and then, my second semester into crop sciences, I was told I had to take this class called plant pathology. I was like, I have no idea what plant pathology is, but I have to take it. Here I go. And it turned out to be like this perfect, like crossroads for me between like agriculture, uh, biology, microbiology, um, 
and, and just like plants in general. And like, for me, it kind of like uh, provided this avenue of like taking care of sick things, but like not like sick, sick things that don't have feelings that we can perceive. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, and that, that also gets a little complicated because obviously some people have emotional attachments to plants. So like when you're taking care of somebody's like beloved house plant or a memorial plant or something like that can get a little more complicated, but, um, but I just, I just fell in love with plant pathology. And, um, so I decided to, uh, pursue a graduate degree. I got my master's degree at uh, U of I. And while working on my master's, I interned at the plant clinic at Illinois for a summer. So I got to spend a whole summer being a plant doctor. And, um, and I also like fell in love with extension too, like the general concept of extension, uh, providing like unbiased research-based information to people. Um, I just saw so much value in that. And so I went on to get my PhD at Iowa State University in the Department of Plant Pathology and Microbiology. Um, I worked there exclusively with uh, the soybean cyst nematode um, and, you know, was looking for jobs that let me continue doing stuff with plant diseases, but also uh, get my hand in extension and have an impact that way. So here I am, and I've been here <laughs> since uh, August of 2019. And it's awesome. been the best two years of your life, right? Yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it's been a crazy, I mean, you know, you know, you guys have lived, oh. <laughs> it's been an interesting time, but we got through it, we're innovating, we're doing awesome things. So Chelsea, you are stationed out of the Monmouth Research uh, Farm. What yep. is it that you do at that facility? So um, it's a it's a crop sciences uh, research farm. Uh, so there's you know most of the research that's going on there is conducted by uh, faculty at the or, um, from crop sciences. There's also like um, partnerships with uh, industry. Um, you know with like plots out there to provide data back to companies that want like you know more trials put put out and around um, to have that those data. Um, so what I get to do um, is, well, this year I got to run a few different trials of my own um, with nematodes. And then um, I'm actually collaborating with a USDA plant pathologist um, working with a mycovirus that parasitizes um, sclerotinia sclerotiorum, which is the um, causal agent of white mold that affects many different plants, um, including soybeans. So that's what I do. I'm, I'm doing, you know, research stuff there. And then it's just kind of like my home base for um, any like storing stuff. You know, I've got an office there, but I have an office at home now. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place. When you are going, so say, what was the name of the white mold for soybean? Or is that the name? Uh, uh, yeah, it's called white mold. The, the disease is called white mold. You don't need to say the, the scientific name. It's oh. a mouthful. Uh, we've learned on this show, uh, Latin and me don't mix. So, um, uh, but, so when you are 
doing this out in the field, are you inoculating this disease onto the soybeans like out in the field or are you in a lab? So it's out in the field. Okay. Um, yep. Yep. Well, that's so cool. Okay. I need to go up. I need to get up there more often. Every once in a while, I'm able to pop in and uh, see what's going on at the farm. You have an annual field day every summer mm -hmm. um, that is always really interesting. Um, I, I was able to learn about the bioreactors and all other kinds of things that you got going on up there. So mm -hmm. lots of fun projects. Mm -hmm. We've also learned, I don't know what plant pathology is. Um, just, I never had to look at it, that those words before together. Um, so please explain to me, what is a nematode? Because <laughs> I am woefully undereducated with this topic. You know, I will tell you that, um, I mean, just the general concept or like not concept term plant pathology can be confusing unless you're like familiar with pathology. Um, I remember one time telling someone that I studied uh, plant pathology and they thought I said plant mythology and they thought that, they thought that was really cool but then when I was like oh no no plant pathology the study of plant diseases they were like maybe a little less interested <laughs> <laughs> oh but anyways yeah so pathology you know is a, essentially like the study of diseases so plant pathology is the study of plant diseases and there are um just like in humans, uh, many different causes of diseases on plants. And we're mostly talking about my, uh, microbial causes. So, um, as we've identified, you know, we've got, of course, nematodes that they're like the, the mm -hmm. biggest of the microbes that cause diseases on plants, but we've also got, um, you know, fungi, oomycetes, which are fungal like organisms, uh, bacteria, viruses, Etc. Um, and there's, you know, maybe a little debate on whether nematodes should be lumped in with plant pathogens sometimes because they're kind of like, they're, they're, they're almost like a little more like bugs in the way they parasitize things. But, um, but I like lumping them in with um, plant pathogens more because I like microbes more than I like bugs. Anyways, <laughs> uh, so a, a nematode is a, is a, um, roundworm. So we've got our like segmented worms, our annelids, um, which are earthworms and, you know, worms in that um, phyla. Um, nematodes are roundworms and they can vary greatly in size. So when we're talking about plant pathogens, we're talking about microscopic roundworms, but um, there's nematodes can actually I should have looked up the name of this nematode before I got on here, but the, um, like the largest nematode ever recovered, I can't even remember how long it was, but it's like super long and it was recovered from like a sperm whale placenta. Oh it, it was like parasit parasitizing a placenta and a sperm whale. So like nematodes, like, you know, you give your dog heartworm preventative each month, heartworms are nematodes. Um, oh, I had no idea. Right. So, um, I mean, nematodes can parasitize, I mean, just like any microbe, you know, can like there's good ones, there's bad ones. So we've got ones that parasitize things and ones that don't, but uh, obviously in, in ag and production and with regard to plants, most of the time we're thinking about the nematodes that are detrimental to the, the health of our plants. The longest nematode was eight meters long. There, yeah. <laughs> huge like i can't even imagine are they oh, yeah. are they th microscopic thin or would were they 
physical that one to the eye. No, right? yeah, 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 yeah. You, that one would have been like bigger round. So that's like, insane. Yeah, I like the microscopic when, ones more. Yeah, though, oh, my goodness. <laughs> the, the ones that parasitize humans, like that might get in our gut, is that a nematode? Uh, that, well, that so like, you know, they're tape, tape, tapeworms wouldn't mm-hmm. be, would not be um, a nematode. I'm pretty sure there are some like intestinal parasites that are nematodes, but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. So obviously um, there are good and bad nematodes, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like well, n- neutral nematodes, there's like, you know, the whole, the whole scale, the whole Swiss. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Gotcha. So what kind of problems can we see in agriculture from nematodes? Well, so we keep talking about the soybean cyst nematode, right? Um, so this nematode, so soybeans were originally cultivated in East Asia and, um, they, you know, uh, uh, bred the, the beans to be, be like the productive protein and oil plants that we use today. So they come from what we're over there. And when they first brought the soybeans from um, East Asia, Japan and China, um, they, the soybeans weren't performing as well as they had hoped. And they um, decided to like, you know, sprinkle some or bring some dirt from Japan and China, like sprinkle it on the soil over here to try and like provide that like inoculant. I think they were likely thinking about the root nodules. Um, but in doing so, they they brought over this uh, soybean cyst nematode, which um, is now, I mean, it's, it's for the last 20 years or so estimated to be the top yield suppressing pathogen of soybeans in the United States. Um, so it's a, it's a consistent problem. It's one that also is kind of tricky because you can have up to 30% yield suppression without seeing any above ground symptoms on those soybeans. So it's a problem that like, unless you're like sampling regularly and like monitoring the pathogen population in your field, you, it might, you might not know it's there and you might be losing yield and not knowing why. Um, so soybeans, this nematode is kind of the big one. As I mentioned, that's the one that I did my PhD on. Um, but we've also, also got some important nematodes that affect corn. Um, some of the, well, I don't know. They're all cool. I was going to say some of the cooler ones, but they're like the bigger nematodes that um, um, some of the like longer ones that affect corn that are kind of cool. Um, the dagger and the needle nematodes specifically, Ziphonema and Longidorus. They're really cool. Um, and we've also got obviously nematodes that affect like turf. They're, nematodes can be a huge, pro- huge problem on like golf greens um, and turf production. Um, and I mean, yeah, there's just, yeah, nematodes that can adversely affect literally any plant, but Soybean cyst nematode, it tends to be the, the, the big honcho that we really like to talk about. So it, it sounds like with like soybean cyst nematode, um, you, you mentioned you have to be testing for this to know you have it. So this is not a windshield survey of the field. This is a go out and dig up a plant and submit a sample to, who would we submit a sample to? 
Well, so you can you can pull soil soil cores and um, submit a composite soil sample to um, to the plant clinic. Um, the, in Illinois, that's where you would want to send it is to the plant clinic. They're the ones who process the soil samples and they'll uh, they'll do a, a nematode egg count. And it's the the the, the process. The processing of the soil lends itself to extracting eggs that are only from soybean cyst nematodes. So they're not just counting all nematode eggs; they're just counting soybean cyst nematode eggs. So then you you know gain gain an idea of what kind of SEN numbers you have out there. Um, you can also you know like dig up soybean roots and look at them and um, try to look for the cysts on the roots, but um, that can be a little more difficult because they are so tiny um, and tend to get confused with soybean nodules, even though soybean nodules are quite a bit larger. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's just a little, little bit trickier to just dig up and look, but you can, um, but soil sampling is probably the best way to go about it. And as far as like monitoring the, the pest pressure throughout the years. Illinois is a very long state, and maybe the reason why I have not concerned my brain with nematodes is because I have always thought of that as a southern problem. Is so? Could does our like gardens, our yards? You mentioned turf grass, possibly. Like, do we have to worry about that in like central or northern Illinois or southern Illinois, all of Illinois? There, I mean, so there's all kinds of nematodes to like consider like never never rule out the nematode right um <laughs> obviously like the 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 first thing you're going to want to do is like if you're seeing like above ground plant symptoms and like no visible like fungal disease or something you know you're going to want to like dig up the plant and look at the roots or like you know su submit that plant to the plant clinic so they can examine the roots try to extract nematodes and do their identification but when it comes to nematodes that we actually are concerned about in like non-corn and soybean plants in in the state um i mentioned turf there's there's um quite a few nematodes that can be detrimental to turf um are like lesion nematodes, our ring nematodes, spiral nematodes. Um, and all of these are ones that just kind of like cause like a general like decline and like, I, I guess like my, well, I don't know. They, I, I'm placing anthropomorphic emotions onto plants is a bad habit I have when I'm trying to like describe symptoms. I wanted to say like, you know, if you're like, grass is just kind of looking unhappy but like you know if it's just like you know discolored maybe not like as healthy as the grass around it and like occurring in patches that would be suspect of some issue in the roots um and you know it could be a fungal rot or it could be some nematodes chomping away on those roots so that's one one place specifically that you might look consider nematodes in your um I guess that would be like landscaping. Um, with, there's also, this is one of the cooler, no, they're all cool. Sorry, I'm gonna say they're all cool. I ha <laughs> I'm terrible about like, when I get, I get really excited about plant pathogens. Um, you should have heard me in my plant pathogenic fungi class, like everything was cute. 
nematodes are also very cute and cool. So there's a nematode that affects pine trees. It's called the pine wilt nematode. Um, that is one that, uh, I mean, it's not super common, but it's like one to be aware of if you're noticing a decline in your pine trees. Um, and, and that's one that can only be identified because this nematode actually uh, like colonizes the, the vascular system of the tree. It doesn't just stay in the roots. It goes up the, the vascular system of the tree um, and it kills the trees pretty quickly. I don't know that there's any actual like management for like stopping the, the tree from dying. I don't think there is. Um, but you know, at that point it's more about like identifying the problem and getting like, um, getting rid of that, you know, those materials that are infested with, with the nematode to prevent it from like spreading to other trees. So these mostly like, I'm guessing we have native nematodes in North America. Mm -hmm. And we then like soybean right. says that was a non-native uh, nematode. Right. right. Well, you, so, so this is actually um, one of my favorite like concepts about nematology is that like, like nematodes are so numerous and like diverse across the world that if you like take away all of the topography of all of the earth, you would still be able to tell like where you're at on the earth based on the like population and like um, composition of nematodes that are in that place. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's just piles of nematodes yeah. over in, uh, we'll say over in Warren County. Yes. So yeah. They've all migrated there. Oh my. <laughs> so um, with nematodes, is there anything that we can do about them? Especially like in that pine tree situation, is, can, can we do anything to prevent them or to get rid of them? So when like a pine tree is already infected, there's not going to be really any saving that tree. Um, it's going to be more about kind of like exclusion. Uh, so, so that, that nematode is transmitted by a bark beetle. I'm pretty sure it's been a while since I've thought about Bercephalagus. I'm pretty sure that one is transmitted by a bark beetle. So like, and I don't think the bark beetle is that common, um, but that one would be more about like exclusion, like, you know, keeping that like vector away. Um, but in like your garden, if you are having problems with something like root knot nematode, which isn't going to be that common, um, but not wholly impossible. Um, the, I think the, the biggest like cultural management that we, or the best cultural management we can do are like a couple things. First is to um, make sure that you're planting cultivars that have resistance to whatever nematode has historically been a problem where you're at. And then you'll want to um, uh, rotate, right? Um, you don't wanna plant the same species of plant in an area where you have a problem by a nematode that is known to parasitize that species. Um, and um, it's similar to like any plant disease, like what's the word? like you want to like compost or like uh, get rid of any like crop residue that could har be harboring um, the nematodes um, in future years. 
And then if you want to get like really extreme, you could do like solarization, um, you know, just raising the soil temperature for some time before you plant that helps um, decrease the, the number of overall nematodes, but then you're likely causing some sort of detriment to the, uh, the population of good nematodes out there too. So that one kind of comes with, it's a, that, that one's a double-edged sword. There's a old remedy I've heard of, of marigolds exuding a chemical with their roots. Is that, again, I right. have no I, I, idea. No, no, no. Yeah. That, that's one that I, I did forget. So, um, so marigolds actually serve as a trap crop for, for root knot nematode. And I, um, I think it's kind of like cultivar dependent and like species dependent for root knot nematode. Um, but that it, like, if you do have a root knot nematode problem, that's like the, the, the nematodes will like parasitize and then like die in, in marigolds over, um, over your garden crops. Um, and that's, that was kind of one of the concepts that I was chasing during my PhD with cover crops and soybean cyst nematode. Um, so I can't believe I forgot that option, but yeah. Well, that, but, hey, but, but, yeah. I, I better Good close job, my textbook Chris. right here. Close <laughs> right here. <Yes. laughs> that, that's one of the things that I learned in Southern Illinois. I did learn a couple things in Carbondale, aside <laughs> from where to go for the drink deals. So um, <laughs> yeah, the, the down there, I guess a lot of gardeners plant marigolds for root yes. rot nematode. Yeah, yeah root, not, root not nematode is... Uh, something that they do run into in Southern Illinois. And I believe in unlike soybean production, um, I don't think yet we have reniform nematode, but that's another one that's, you know, typically thought of as like a Southern nematode, but um, soybeans, this nematode is particularly hardy and can be found all the way up in Canada. Yeah. And then of course there are like, you know, other nematodes that just live in the soil and do their thing. And usually don't get like high enough thresholds to, to warrant any like real concern about a lot of those. Between soybean cyst nematode and the, uh, uh, the non-native lady beetles, boy, soybeans, come on. And, and oh, what else do I get? I get a lot of um, aphids and whitefly because my yeah. backyard backs right up to a soybean yep. field this year, so. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, the joys of that. So, <laughs> I, but soybean systematode, as you said, that is very species specific to that yes. crop. Okay. Right. It's kind of like um, like powdery mildews. Um, so the 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 pathogen releases like specific effector molecules that like need to have the the right like receptor from the host in order to like you know, form these bonds and relationships for them to like effectively parasitize and get their like nutrients that they need to stay alive. So did you see it? Did, does this go up and down over the years? Did you see a lot of um, like soybean systematode uh, activity this year, 2021? So there's a, you know, a couple different factors that affect, um, like the activity of SCN. Um, first thing, um, we tend to see more SCN 
yield limitations in dry years. Um, and I think like most of the, I would say most of the state wasn't super dry this year. So if there were like any fields in Northern Illinois that have a history of SCN, I would be interested to know, you know, if they saw any, I mean, you know, you're going to see yield drops for other reasons too, but SCN can definitely contribute to that in dry years. Um, and then SCN uh, is usually more problematic in uh, fields with a higher soil pH. Um, and so that one, you know, obviously you can predict if you're again, soil testing and have an idea of the, the pH in your field. Um, but then the, the like biggest thing is going to, is the fact that, um, we largely manage SCN in the United States with, uh, genetic resistance, which is, you know, typically like a pathologist favorite way of managing any plant disease because it doesn't require any chemical inputs. Um, but the, the, so there are seven different plant introductions, um, which is like the fancy word for like it's from, from the soybean germplasm. When, the, when they um, surveyed the soybean germplasm, they identified seven different plant introductions that have uh, different uh, resistance genes to soybean systematode. And um, when they decided to start integrating resistance into commercial cultivars, there was one plant introduction that had the smallest amount of yield drag. So it was like easiest to integrate into our commercial cultivars. Um, and so at this point, um, like, 90 or 95 percent of the commercially available soybean cultivars with SCN resistance have resistance derived from a single source. And mm. so the problem that we have now is that the the populations of SCN out in the field are not are, are, are increasingly able to reproduce on that um, on that source of resistance. So, um, you know, we, we're trying to, to manage it, but we're actually, there are, I mean, researchers and there's, um, you know, people working on other, like integrating different sources of genetic resistance now that we've become more like aware of the problem. Um, but, yeah, you, 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 it's, a, it's one that like, you won't really know like how much of a problem it is unless you're like sampling your field at the beginning of the season and at the end of the season to see how the population density changes during the course of the season. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big deal then. I, yeah. it, I kind of, when you're describing that, it reminds me when we learned about systemic fungicides and how mm -hmm. they do such a great job of protecting the plant, mm -hmm. but they're there ever present. And that means exactly. resistance develops mm -hmm. so quickly. So, mm -hmm. oh. I mean, you think about like glyphosate resistance, right? Like, mm -hmm. or like any, like, yeah. yeah. So at least we're like finally aware of the problem and, you know, taking action to, uh, to try and get that back under control. But that is what we call job security. That's right. That's right. <laughs>
And that's why if you uh, would love to pick a career or make a career change, hey, think about the world of nematodes. Nematolo- yep. Is it nematology? Is that ne- yep, nematology? Yep. Nematology, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or like awesome. pathology in general. I mean, there's always going to be pathogens. Like, so mm-hmm. maybe you don't like nematodes, but you like bacteria. Like, there's so much you can do in any, like, it's, it's like plant pathology. You know, I was lecturing at um, Carl Sandburg last week, the community college in mm-hmm. Galesburg. And I always like telling the kids about like how like plant pathology, of course, is like its own thing, but there's so many different things that feed into this one thing, right? Like there's agronomy, there's plant science, there's plant biology, um, nematology, microbiology, virology, like it's, it's, it's one idea, but they're like, you're never going to be an, like, I don't think anybody could ever be the perfect plant pathologist because there's just too much to know that like feeds into plant pathology. It's a lot. You need all of the disciplines so yes. that everyone can lean on we, each other for that. Yes. And we need like all the people in it. So that way everybody's like expertise can mesh well together and we can, you know, work on problems together and have all the, the, have all the right cooks in the kitchen that we need. That's right. I'm curious, Chelsea, the, your background image, is that an infected soybean root? Yeah, that, that's, a, yep, that's a soybean root. Um, I was helping out at the plant clinic a couple of days a week last fall. And this was, um, this was actually a soybean um, sample that was submitted to the plant clinic. And um, they, it wasn't submitted for SCN, but I was, you know, in my exam, examining the plant, trying to figure out what was wrong with it. I found all these uh, SCN cysts on, oh. on the root. And I was like, oh, they have a SCN problem in addition to who else, who remembers what else was going on with that soybean plant. That among its many problems. Yeah. <laughs> Although are the, the big ones, are those nodules? Um, gosh. The big brown ones? No, the, the brown ones, those are the cysts. Those are the cysts? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, the nodules would be much bigger and they're like more like creamy, paleish in color. I didn't know. So are the little yellow dots, are those nematodes in? Those are, yeah, those would also be the bodies of the nematode. So I'm trying to bring, I can't see the, oh wait, I I can't see the picture very well. I'm going to look here. So, um, well, the smaller yellow, I think that's just like dirt. The, 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 the cysts in this picture are like the dark brown. Brown They're, they're not like as like round as they would be if like the nematodes were still alive, but at this point mm. the nematodes are dead and um, their bodies have become like melanized and like the, the cyst that is um, mm-hmm. SCN. For people listening, it looks like a root covered in ticks. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's a great way to describe it. And that's kind of what happens. I mean, the nematodes enter the root and then they, like once they establish a feeding site and they stay in one place for the rest of their life, the males, except for the males. So the, the females, um, their bodies like start to fill up with eggs and their, um, then like explodes out essentially through the, the soybean tissue. And then the males actually return to a vermiform or like wormy shape. They exit the, exit the root, 
fertilize the females and then the females bodies continue to fill up with eggs to the point where it like squishes her organs and then like kills her and then her body becomes this like prote protective structure around the eggs so the cysts can like like one of the things that makes SCN such a good um, pathogen is that it um, it persists in the soil for for years with those eggs protected in the cysts you can like you can plant corn on corn for like 10 years go back to soybeans and there's still um, SCN out there in that field because the eggs that are in the, that cyst are that well protected from the environment around it and a lot of the eggs will only hatch if they detect you know a suitable host in the soil wow <laughs> it's like a science fiction movie mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness well i i don't know i this is fascinating but i want to mention too, uh, Chelsea, you and Katie have a, a conference coming up, the Crop Management Conference. Tell us, tell us a bit about that and, and what it is and can people sign up? Yeah, so um, every year the, the commercial ag team puts together the Crop Management Conferences. Um, in 20, gosh, sorry, in 2020, um, was, would have been like my first year being a part of these, um, you know, we had our four in-person conferences and this was all before the pandemic started. And then in 2021, we had to, um, change course to offer, um, the conference online. Uh, and that was such a success that this year we are actually, we're, we're going well, so we're going back to in-person conferences. We have four locations. Um, Mount Vernon is in January. Um, and then the other three are in February, one in Macomb, one in Champaign, and one in Sycamore. Um, but we're also offering an online only version of the conference. Um, and there the speakers that we have at the conference at the in-person conferences are they kind of like vary between locations. So we're going to have a, a diverse array of in-person presenters, but we have additional presenters that are online only. So, and our, all of our in-person presenters are going to record their presentations. So they will be accessible to the online only people. So there's going to be really just like a ton of information from a really diverse cast of, of experts in their fields. And um, I think in all, there's going to be I think like 13 or more certified crop advisor continuing education units available. Um, so it's, it's going to be really high value and, um, and yeah, just a lot of information. I'm, I'm like, I was excited about last year, but I'm even more excited about this year because we have like that much more diversity to offer, um, for anybody who wants to participate. So all of that information can be found on our, on the landing page for the Crop Management Conference. That's go.illinois.edu slash CMC 2022. Um, and you can check that out. You can shoot me an email if you have any questions or give me a call. I'm happy to talk 
about it. And I'll be talking about this nonstop for the next like month and a half. Well, fantastic. We can leave links below in the uh, show notes. Um, Dr. Chelsea Harbach, commercial ag educator with University of Illinois Extension. You have opened my eyes to the world of nematology. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Chris and Katie. Yeah, thank you, Chelsea. You are a wealth of knowledge, that's for sure, about <laughs> nematodes. Oh, I will talk your ear off about nematodes and diseases <laughs> any day, just to let you know. But it's so fascinating, so uh-huh. it's interesting. And Chris, it's always good to see you. Uh, hopefully we can do this again next week with Ken. I, well, we're going to try. We'll see, uh, folks. Uh, the holidays are coming up, so... Uh, we'll try to see if we can pull Ken away from his commitments uh, that is just, you know, just keeping him uh, away from the podcast. Uh, I'm pretty sure it goes ab- above uh, Katie and my uh, a pay grade. So, uh, but yes, we, we do hope that we will see Ken uh, next week for another episode of Good Growing. So listeners, thank you for doing what you do best. And that is listening. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing.